To sermon notes. Uh, this is our podcast just going alongside our teachings here on Sunday morning uh, for our community groups and our small groups and just for our personal uh, devotional life. And so uh, I'm Garland. I've got Clark here with us and uh, Josh producing this alongside of us here. And last week we looked at, uh, uh, or last podcast we looked at an overview of the, the gospel of John, trying to orient to the big picture. Now we're going to dive into seven of these I am statements. And the first one we're going to get is uh, in chapter six. It's the first uh, ego I me or I am statement. Um, and it's got a lot to, to wade through in chapter yeah, six. Tell, tell us where we get the term, Garland. Yeah, that might be helpful. Testament that term. probably is helpful. Yeah. yeah. So we say these, this may be so familiar, but let's get, let's kind of get our heads around what's going on. Jesus actually makes 23 I am statements in John's gospel. And an I am statement is uh, Jesus almost certainly intentionally um, using the the divine name that God gives in Exodus chapter three. So if you remember the story in Exodus chapter three, um, Moses is out in the desert. He's run away from, uh, from Egypt. The Israelites are in slavery. And uh, Yahweh, the God of Israel, shows up and says, I'm going to send you back to rescue my people. And Moses says, well, what if they ask, who sent you? What God sent you? And in Hebrew, um, the, the God of the Bible says, tell them, he says, tell them Yahweh has sent you, or he will be how he is, or he will always be who he is. Um, it's the divine name for God. And in Hebrew, you would pronounce it as Yahweh. Well, the, the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures were translated about 200 years before Jesus into Greek. And uh, this took place down in Alexandria, Egypt, and they had to make decisions on how to translate into Greek. And, uh, how do we translate that name Yahweh? Um, and the way they chose to translate it was with the Greek words ego, I me, or which is basically just I am, I exist, mm-hmm. I am. And so in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that's the divine name for God, ego, I me. And so Jesus comes along and in John's gospel where it comes it starts by saying in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's shouldn't be surprising, I guess that we have Jesus taking the Exodus three name of God, ego, I me and using it all over the place. And he does so in connection with some kind of a metaphor uh, or analogy seven, we might say, um, famous times. Now he does it other times as well. Famous ones at the end of John eight, where he says before Abraham was ego, I me, I am. Um, but that's not one of our famous ones for some reason, although it's pretty cool. There's seven that are connected with some kind of a metaphor. Um, and we get, we're going to look at those seven here in the next seven weeks. And so, uh, the first one comes right here in John chapter six. So tell us, It, it, it happens down here in the 20s of John 6, but it's connected mm-hmm. to a much bigger... You really got all the chapter to deal with, so... Yeah, there's 71 verses in chapter 6. Are you teaching 71 you got, verses on Sunday? I am not. I'll <laughs> so teach about seven. That's why those. sermon notes that's exist, right. is to get some of this well, background. So take it away. Well, I just think part of what's fascinating about this is if you consider the redemptive history of Israel in the context of the statement, I am the bread, or I am the living bread, um, in six two, we're reminded of when this is happening. Um, it's it the the Passover festival is near. We don't know exactly what part of the week or the month they're in, but it's it's near. It, he states, 
And so we know the ancient Israelites had made unleavened bread, and as they hurried uh, to leave Egypt during the Exodus, and uh, they as they did that, they celebrated Passover. And so um, we have that going on in the background. It's about to happen. You also have this miracle in the first 11 verses where you have the feeding of the 5,000. And then we're reminded that it's it's actually not about the bread or the feeding, but it's pointing to something bigger. And so uh, right out of the gate, Jesus is kind of setting the stage, stirring their interest, meeting a daily need that all men have to eat and um, have sustenance and provision for. And he does it through this miracle. Um, as the story moves on into uh, verse 31, um, there's some back and forth about this thing called manna. And um, they've got questions for him, and they look back on their history, and they see how God provided daily manna for them. And then Jesus, in this context, makes a statement that, hey, I'm the true bread from heaven. And so, um, and then towards the end of the chapter, Garland, um, there's this allusion to um, eating my body or drinking my blood, and they're, they're having a hard time to know what to do with that, and yet we... We're probably even thinking, well, that's there's a picture of some kind of atonement work coming, or there's there's a brokenness. There's a um, we we see communion in that. If you that will. sounds like the Last Supper, yeah, yeah, that's right. And so, right in the middle of this, in six thirty five, is this statement: "I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty." And so, um, he's using this metaphor to. Um, capture this idea of spiritual hunger and how he's the um, the answer to that that mm-hmm. hunger. And so I think as you walk through this, and you can speak into this a little bit, Garland, um, part of his answer is this, if you'll eat this bread, you'll experience the fullness of eternal life. And that seems to be a theme that moves us through many of these snapshots in John's uh, gospel. Uh, when we consider eternal life, in the fullness of eating this bread that provides it, um, the person of Jesus. Uh, define that for us. We think about it, it's something in the future. We'll experience presence with God in this eternal state when we physically die. But John seems to speak of it as this quality of life, too. Comment on that. Yeah, what's interesting is in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus comes oftentimes speaking of my kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, this place where the abundant blessing of God will come to rule and reign on earth and bring justice and beauty and goodness to the world. John largely takes that idea or that theme, and it's actually a point of uh, of uh, debate on scholarship, is why does John largely he's he largely doesn't use kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven language. Instead, he maybe even seems to be substituting it for this language of life and life to the full. But I think they are meant to almost be read as as parallels. So this life or eternal life, as we often call it, I think we can get fooled into thinking that that's some kind of a future thing only or it's going to heaven when we die. And while there's certainly promises of uh, of life after death and, and resurrection, and those are things we, we hang our hat on as Christians, um, John and Jesus has something much more near in mind. John 10, he says, I've, I've come that you might have life and life 
overflowingly or abundantly or mm-hmm. to the full life that's fulfilled. And so when I think of language like that, that actually sounds a lot like this announcement of Jesus's kingdom, um, the, the, the a time when God is bringing his goodness to bear on the earth as it is in heaven and in my life personally. And so um, when, when you see that phrase, eternal life, or uh, let help your brain, you have to almost have to remind your brain, um, that's certainly more than just a future idea. It's an abundant life now. It's the good life now uh, in Jesus' yeah, kingdom. Yeah, he says in John 17, 3, that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, mm-hmm. and Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. whom you have sent. So you do get the sense that it's a quality of life, being in a known relationship, uh, the abiding relationship with it, with God the Father through the Son, Jesus. And so, um, yeah, fascinating um, depth there, Garland, and I appreciate your insight on that. So so interesting. So the synoptics include, so Matthew, Mark, and, Lu- Matthew, Mark, and Luke include the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus doing some stuff on lakes. But they don't include this, like John is the only one that gives us this bread conversation about him being the bread of life. Do you, I'm just out loud, I'm wondering, I wonder if, notice how the chapter, the chapter concludes on a a bit of a sour note. Um, You've got uh, in chapter six, verse 66, the, the, many of Jesus's followers, they come up to him and they say, this is hard. And in verse 66, it says they, many of them turn back. I wonder if Matthew, Mark, and Luke felt this tension to leave this part out because do we really want to record a bunch of people leaving Jesus? And John goes, yeah, but this, what he was saying and the symbolism of what he was trying to get at is so important. I got to put, I've got to include it in there. Yeah. I mean, I wonder like it, it, we, we believe these events happened, but the synoptic gospels leave this account out and it's necessarily tied to the feeding of the 5,000 right. Passover's near they're eating bread out in the wilderness. Here comes Jesus providing bread for them. No, it's not coincidental that there's 12 basketfuls left over. But if you remember in, in the Exodus story, when the manna falls from heaven, they're not to collect extra leftovers. He has them collect. But here extra. they collect 12 basketfuls. There happen to be 12 tribes of Israel. And he starts saying, eat my bread or eat, yeah. eat, eat my flesh. I'm the bread of life. Um, what else is not hitting the sermon yeah, that you, we need to hear here on sermon yeah, notes? You know, um, it is interesting to me and ironic that Simon Peter, who seems to be one that given the time of the day, can waffle in his loyalty to Jesus. And yet he's the one that makes the boldest statements here. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus looks to him and says, or to the disciples and said, well, will you also go? And Simon Peter says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then he makes this statement that captures the heartbeat of John. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so you get this idea that um, this is likely in this moment. It, who knows if it's Simon Peter's conversion experience, but he persistently, consistently has to keep believing and claiming his belief in Jesus um, throughout, throughout his life. And we see him get reassured of that at the end of the, this book as well. Um, I think the one thing, and I'm just going to go pastorally here, Garland, and you and I sit across the table from folks all over Northwest Arkansas um, each week, and um, and I've been asking the question: What are the um, the daily manas that aren't necessarily bad things, but they're not the true bread that I take eat of, mm-hmm. and I find um, I try to find life in? Um, what are the false breads or the 
um, the breads that that don't sustain me, that don't provide true sustenance that I partake in, spiritually speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what? how would we define spiritual hunger? That's something I think I'd like us to wrestle with, um, especially this week as we reflect on this passage. Mm-hmm. It could um, be a great question, you know, in a personal devo time or a yeah. community group. It's interesting also, the, he's saying this to a bunch of Jews who... He noticed his insistence over and over again in this chapter. You know, your fathers ate the manna and they died in the wilderness. There's a cultural identity in we're Jews, mm-hmm. we're Abraham's children. That's the bread that they think is going to bring them life. They that they're part of this family because of who they are and their birthright, and they obey the law. And Jesus comes along and says, that bread isn't actually. They they died, yeah. and you you are in error. It you will die. Meant, it was yeah. never meant to provide fulfillment. Or so it's an interesting yeah. it's an interesting question for us to ponder, especially consider these were religious people who had the commandments of God. Yeah, and they but it was the wrong bread. It wasn't a bread that could give them true life. And Jesus yeah. says, "You gotta. It's not working. You gotta come to me." Um, often those breads can be hard to identify, yeah. and then often hard to give up. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, for me, I know um, when I'm wrestling with some of, maybe not every day, but some of the deeper questions of life, why am I here, and does my life matter, and um, where's this thing going, and how do I let this eternal reality invade my present earthly experience? If these things are true about who God is and where history is going and what happens when I die, what, what impact does that have on my life today, how I treat one another, how I live out the great commandment, the great commission, um, my priorities, um, the decisions I make, um, how I can take even, Garland, something like good gifts from God, make them little gods or idols, and they don't provide lasting sustenance for me. And so when we think of spiritual hunger, Jesus is putting himself out here as being the one um, who gives us lasting fulfillment. And so I, I think those would be some great things to ponder um, for sure over the next week as you reflect on the I am the bread statement. And uh, hopefully this one will um, get us going. I'm looking forward to the, the next six weeks of these statements. Yeah. So, I mean, as always, uh, sermon notes, maybe just a good uh, reminder what sermon notes is for is we we have to make cuts to get these sermons down to you know thirty minutes or so for a Sunday morning, and um, oftentimes there's some really interesting things or background or context that we just don't have time to get into. And uh, as thoughtful Bible students, uh, we're at a Bible church. We want to we want to take all that stuff seriously. And so, to the extent that this is helpful, uh, let us know if there's things we need to add or change, or if if you got an idea for us here, uh, just let us know. We hope this is a helpful tool for those of you in our church that are leading groups and discipling people and just trying to study the Bible on your own. So thanks as always. Have a great week.